are listening to the podcast of the White Church at the Elk River YMCA in Minnesota. Our mission is to seek Jesus, connect together, and share His love. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Well, I am so glad that you are joining us online this morning. As much as I wish you were sitting at the picnic table here at the Y with me, it is good that we can be in God's word together. Will you pray with me as we move into our message this morning? Father God, we are so grateful for the ways that you are at work, for the ways that we can see you through your creation, through your word, through community. God, we pray that as we spend this time in your word together, you would reveal to us more of who you are. We pray all this in your name. Amen. I hope you had some good conversation about what you would like to do before the end of the summer. I know it's so hard to believe that we're even talking that way. As late August rolls in and hints of fall weather set in, there's this sense that summer is coming to an end. And maybe you have a few things left that you want to do before we officially head into the swing of things this fall, which we know that that swing looks so far from normal. We just heard the announcement about schools, parents making decisions, teachers are wondering about how to prepare, so much stuff going on. And we can yet soak in these last days of summer. And hopefully we're not seeing the end of this weather anytime soon, that's for sure. Well, when this time of year comes, I often get nostalgic about what it was like to go back to school in the fall and play fall sports. My senior year of high school, I decided to run cross country. So I went out for the cross country team never run much in my life but a bunch of my friends were going out and our team actually there were 27 girls on our cross-country team and our motto jokingly was quantity not quality so needless to say i wasn't in it to win any races but i ended up loving the experience and i always remember that last race of senior year our conference meet was at home and we ran behind a small liberal arts college in town. I lived in a small town in Wisconsin, about 7,000 people. And we had our conference meet at home that year. And the season's coming to an end. And it would be the last opportunity I would have to run with my team. And that race, I just remember, I gave it everything I had. I remember turning that last corner and coming down the straightaway to the finish line and just kicking it in, just giving my heart to this race that I wasn't going to win, but I saw the people lined up, the flags, the sound of cowbells, the clock ticking at the end. I just remember that sense of urgency, like that adrenaline rush where you just kick it in at the end because you know that this is your last opportunity 
And in my head, I was flying, but reality probably looked a little bit different. In that moment, you know, my legs felt like they could fall off and my face was just beet red and adrenaline was coursing through my body because you know that soon when you run through that chute, you are going to forget about the misery and pain that you have just been in and think back on this race with fond memories of teammates and spaghetti dinners. Maybe you haven't been in a race, but you've been in a situation where you have experienced that adrenaline rush of something that's about to come to an end. Maybe it's a game where you played hard the whole time and now there are 30 seconds left on the clock and the game is tied. Maybe it's a deadline at work or school and you stop procrastinating, you just dig in and get it done. In so many situations in our lives, we come to a place where the clock is ticking and the end is in sight. The buzzer will sound and the deadline will come. And these different kinds of endings come with different emotions, don't they? Some with joy and relief and others, when something's coming to an end, it incites this panic and distress. For a long time, I'll have vivid memories of that week in March when the shelter in place announced that it was going to be started on a Monday at 5 p.m. I remember that sense of panic and the unknown, the people rushing to the grocery store, and I knew that life as I had known it was ending, but it was also so unknown that I didn't know how to prepare for it. Our passage today begins with this sentence in 1 Peter 4, 7. It says, the end of all things is near. I saw a sign outside of Maple Grove Church the other day that said, are we living in the end times prophecy conference? And they gave some dates for the end of August. Is COVID-19 a sign of the end times? As we live in the midst of a pandemic, and then you look at the wars and conflicts around the world, the natural disasters, and you add it all up and you start to wonder, are we living in the last days? Peter is writing to Gentile believers that he knows they are living in the end times because Jesus has already come. He has lived, died, and been resurrected, and now they are waiting until the end when Christ will return to earth and make all things new. Peter wrote this line years ago. And maybe you're thinking, um, Peter, were you just like way off on your timing? Or did the word near just mean something different? Or did people not really know what near meant? Well, Peter himself heard Jesus speak words like these found in Matthew 24 says, all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. Well, Peter's point in writing this was not to explain end times theology. And that's not our purpose together during our time today either. But instead, Peter is framing how we are to live with the understanding that time is limited. There will be a finish line. There is a clock, even if we don't know how much time is left on it. We are to live with a sense of urgency, that there is more than meets the eye. Christ is going to return. So how will this reality shape the way that we live? 
If you go back a little bit and you read 1 Peter 4, 1 through 6, you'll see that Peter starts this section by talking again about suffering. We see so much this theme of suffering in Peter's letter. He's asking people, leave your old way of life, the way things were before you knew Christ, and instead live for Christ. And the consequences will no longer be tied to their sin, but there will be suffering for doing good because this is Christ's example. And here's the encouragement. This suffering for doing good will end because the end of all things is near. And that's just two things. It's a reality. Like there is a real sense in which Christ is going to return. And Peter knows this. It's also there this reality has to shape the way that we think. It has to shape our mindset because our mindset influences the way that we live. You know, if I were to run that last cross-country race as if I had all the time in the world to finish, who knows if I would have even finished? Peter sets the table and he says, the end is near. This then is how you should live. We see this pattern over and over in Peter's letter. We see him talk about how Christ lived, what Christ has done, and how that reality changes our mindset and changes the way that we live. He says, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Now, by telling the readers that the end is near, Peter is not trying to incite panic in them, but he wants to prompt people toward a life of prayer, a life in conversation with God. Should we panic and stress out because the world as we know it is going to end? Peter says, no, keep a clear mind and don't panic, but pray. And we can do this because the future is not uncertain. Christ has promised to return. That is the hope that we have. Peter's encouraging people, keep watch, stay awake. Now is not the time to fall asleep at the switch. And Peter knows this from a very literal experience that he had. He was in the Garden of Gethsemane with Jesus and the other disciples right before Jesus' crucifixion, right before Jesus was killed. And Jesus is going to pray, and he asked the disciples that night to stay awake and to pray, to keep watch, and they literally fell asleep on the job. Peter's saying, don't make the same mistake I did. Live with a clear mind, and don't panic, but pray. Don't panic, but pray. Talk to God about what's going on in your life. Talk to him about the suffering you're experiencing right now. Don't spend your life staring up at the sky or living however you want to live, that is going to be how you're going to be ready for the end. So Peter's instructions are to pray, to connect with God in really meaningful ways. So when we are praying, we're simply talking to God about stuff. And the second is to love each other. Because our relationship with God, our horizontal relationship, will always affect the relationships we have with one another. 1 Peter 4, 8, we read, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Another translation, keep love constant. 
love fervently. And then we can't miss this second line. Love covers a multitude of sins. Why do you think Peter included this? It's because Christ-like love is not dependent on how the other person or group responds. Christ-like love isn't dependent on how they love us back. I was talking to someone this past week who was saying that in their workplace, it's often the people who cuss you out or flip you off who are the same people who need your help the next day. And isn't it so hard to love people in these situations? But love covers a multitude of sins. Loving like Christ allows us to keep showing up and to love the people who are hard to love. And often aren't those the people who are closest to us? Because we know their stuff, we know their sins the best. What would it look like if we let love cover a multitude of sins? If we stopped holding grudges and if we practiced forgiveness? Now, I want to clarify something here. This is different than loving people and letting them just walk all over us, do things that harm themselves or harm one another. Now, Jesus calls us to turn the other cheek, but he also calls us to keep people accountable. And we can confuse this line with love sweeps sin under the rug. It doesn't. That's not how Jesus taught us to love people. When Jesus was face to face with a woman caught in adultery whom everyone wanted to stone, he stopped the stoning, but he also said, go and leave your life of sin. How do we love the way that Jesus loved? We start by showing hospitality. 1 Peter 4, 9 says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. When I hear the word hospitality, I don't know about you, but I think of hosting a party like it looks like it's on an HGTV house or that Chip and Joanna Gaines put together the menu. At least part of the idea I have is that you're supposed to invite people over to a spotless house and a homemade meal. Don't get me wrong. There is nothing wrong with that. And that absolutely has a place in hospitality. But if that's not exactly what Peter might have in mind, what is he talking about here? In Peter's time and place, there were two things that were true. First is that lodging was expensive. When people traveled, they often relied upon people to open up their homes to them, kind of like an Airbnb without all the cleaning fees. And then churches were meeting in homes. For people to meet together, it often meant that someone or a family would need to host in order for people to gather. And doesn't that sound like what we are experiencing right now? I think that Peter is saying not only to open up your physical space to others, but again, he adds a qualifier. He says, show hospitality without grumbling. Could it be that... As he's writing to people, they're getting tired of the work that it takes to have people over, possibly. Could it be that people are cranky because they are in a place of suffering and being hospitable just feels hard? I think so. 
I think we have to start as we sort of hear these words from Peter, we have to start by sort of reframing what biblical hospitality is. It's different than entertaining. It's more about building relationships. It's more about being a friend that extends refrigerator rights. Dr. Will Miller wrote a book called Refrigerator Rights that I've had on my shelf for a long time. And the idea is just that we all need friends who have refrigerator rights, those people who can walk into our homes and help themselves to the refrigerator because there is that kind of comfort level. The kind of friends you can call and it doesn't matter if your house looks like a tornado went through it, they still show up and you welcome them with open arms. And I get it, it's hard. When my house is a mess, I am not so sure that I want people coming over to see it. But we need friends who are close enough that they can see our stuff, that we know their stuff, and we love each other because love covers a multitude of sins. Another way to think about it might be those 2 a.m. friends, friends you can call or text in the middle of the night and you know they're going to show up for you. In fact, have you ever thought about hospitality this way, that you can just show hospitality in the ways that you are present with people, no matter where you are, that it's this posture of welcoming the other, especially the person who doesn't look like you, think like you, or is even kind to you. I think this qualifier also highlights that being someone who is hospitable has a lot more to do with our attitude than how clean the floor is. One of my hopes and prayers is that the time we are living in right now flips the script on hospitality. In suffering, we tend to isolate, don't we? We tend to pull away, to back off. We don't want to be a burden to other people or we don't know, want people to know the junk that's going on in our lives. But God has wired us not to isolate, but to congregate, to be with one another. And this is what has made COVID-19 so difficult. We've had to navigate moments that should have been bringing people together apart. Because how do we show hospitality in a mask-wearing, social distancing world? We have to get creative. And we can't lose the sight of the purpose of it to love one another to the glory of God. Suffering can be the catalyst needed to draw us to our knees in prayer and draw us into more authentic community. Last week, I called a friend just to check in and see how she was doing. And within a minute of answering the phone, told me about a difficult loss that her and her husband had just experienced. And she said, I have lemonade. Do you want to come sit on my deck? I was in her driveway in a few minutes and we sat and drank lemonade together outside, maybe six feet apart. Right now, hospitality just looks like calling or texting someone, maybe saying, I have lemonade. It's bringing your own lawn chair to your neighbor's driveway. It's about inviting a kid over who's grieving the loss of a friend to play with your dog. Last week, I asked a family at church if we could have our student ministry meeting at their bonfire pit and they said we're not going to be home but we will leave a cooler of bottled water and everything you need to build a fire the expectations can be so realistic 
this doesn't have to be as hard as we make it. But the time is so critical. There are no quick fixes to building authentic community, but there are also no substitutions. It takes time and effort, and it takes saying yes to a simple invitation. Maybe that invitation God is laying on your heart this morning. If you are looking for this kind of community, I encourage you to think about signing up for a Y group this fall. This is exactly what we want to have happen in Y groups. People showing up in yards with lawn chairs and learning from God's word about what it means to love one another and then acting that out in their groups with one another. The last couple of verses of this section, Peter concludes and he says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles, that just means the words of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. It's about being in relationship with one another in a way that brings God praise because the end is near. And at the end, it's all that will matter. When we look back on our lives, how will we answer questions like, did we live in such a way that brings God praise? Did we pray instead of panic? Did we love each other, not holding grudges, but letting love cover a multitude of sins? Did we show hospitality without complaining? Did we let people into our lives and open up our refrigerators that might have some moldy leftovers in them? Did we speak and serve out of God's strength and not our own? That night, at the end of my last cross-country race, the scores were tallied, and our team actually ended up winning conference. And there were fire truck rides and police escorts cheering and celebrating with my teammates. Now, as a JV runner, I had not contributed to the win as far as points go, but I could celebrate in the victory because I was part of the team. This kind of victory, any kind of win that we experience here on earth, will pale in comparison to the day when Christ returns. And in Revelation, we get a glimpse of what that day will be like. Revelation 21.4 tells us, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Relationships will be restored, and all things will be made new. And we are called to live with that sense of urgency because the end is near. And we don't know how long that will be, but Jesus promises that he will return. And one ending will actually lead to a new beginning. And until then, pray with a clear mind. Love each other constantly, forgiving one another, and showing hospitality. Speak and serve so that God may be praised to the glory of the Father. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Y Church Podcast. 
For more information about The Y Church, check us out online at thewychurch.org.